Okay, Ron. Thanks very much, and good evening, everyone. It's good to good to have you with us. I can't uh, look directly at the computer, but I see several there. So it, it's great to know that. Uh, I can only let you see so much. Okay, <laughs> we're getting there. Uh, but yes, we've been doing this quite a while, and uh, and uh, to realize that. Uh, how long it's been, that'd be hard for me to really put a hand around it almost because we've been doing this. And this study tonight is study uh, 156 and uh, our study of wisdom. It started out being wisdom and uh, then we uh, applied Jack and, and uh, Melda Everly's book with it uh, because it was going to deal with the, the last seven epistles of Paul concerning uh, the Mysterion truth. And, uh, and we felt like this was probably the greatest uh thing that had been shown to mankind in all of the ages that we looked at as far as we can understand and realize and to see uh what we could glean from this you know in wisdom uh is is the beginning of of understanding and it falls into two or three categories after that. You, you can get knowledge, and it can be knowledge from God, or it can be knowledge from man. Uh, that's the way it got set up to begin with, because uh, Satan was here uh, before we were. And through Adam, you know, we, we got, uh, we got a dose of man's knowledge in, in that sense. And then understanding. And understanding comes through the, <clears throat> the work of the Holy Spirit that Christ is associated with. Because you know, when you get to Acts 2, uh, we were, or those people were told, you know, to wait there until Pentecost in Jerusalem, <clears throat> which was going to be 50 days from the time that Christ was crucified. And therefore, uh, they would, they would receive, uh, the Spirit. And the Spirit would give us knowledge and would give us understanding how to use that knowledge through the wisdom that God left with us. Because there's no way we can be in, in real sync with all of God's wisdom because He is all-knowing and we are not. And so therefore, uh, when we teach, try to teach, and talk with people, we try to tell them to 
the, the understanding is there, but sometimes it's like a, a puzzle, a picture puzzle. We just we we might have all the views, but we don't know how to put them together yet. We don't know how they fit, and so uh, this is kind of the way we've looked at it. And uh, here we are, about three years down the road, and we're just about to finish First Timothy. We're in the last chapter of First Timothy, and this. And this is Paul talking to his son that, well, it wasn't his true son, but it was his son in the faith that he had converted back in Acts 16. And so he was a good, he could, he could get it, but he had a little problem with staying on the bean all the time because lots of times Paul would send him to places to keep people kind of straightened out after Paul left, after he taught for a while and left them. And then he would leave Timothy there or he would send him back there to see how they were doing. And so this is where we've caught Timothy here because Paul had left him in Ephesus to really deal with what we're dealing here with in 1 Timothy 6, the false teachers. Because evidently they had been some kind of a falling away or these people didn't fully understand the mystery truth after uh, they had set aside the Jewish people and he said, we'll go to the Gentiles and they'll hear it. And so it was like unplugging, unplugging the clock for the Jewish people. And so therefore, uh, that was, was some sort of a problem. And, uh, <clears throat> and the dealing that, that Paul had early in his ministry was not good either. Because God had to straighten him out, and he did. And so, therefore, uh, they always remembered that. It seemed like the Jews could not remember what God had told them to do, but they could remember what man had gotten involved in that they didn't like. And a lot of it caused the death of the prophets in the Old Testament. They couldn't kill the supplier of the wisdom, but they could they could do away with the man that brought them the the news that they didn't want to hear. Shoot the messenger. The messenger, yeah, you you know it's pretty easy to get rid of a messenger, but but you know what are you going to do uh, when someone gets all this new understanding and goes to put it forth. If it wasn't written down somewhere, it was hard for them to accept it. And that was that went all the way with with them all the way from Moses on. And when God started giving this understanding to Moses, they just 
And uh, they, they just couldn't believe it. Some of it. But here we are. First Timothy chapter 6. We've gotten down to verse 6, but I'm going to go back and, and just read verse 5 out of the King James. And then we'll start with 6 because this is where our study begins uh, this day. And uh, so First Timothy 6, 5. Now we're talking here now about admonition for false teachers. And it deals with riches, dangers, charges, descriptions, and, and, and it goes all the way from false teachers back to false teachers again. So, uh, this is, uh, introversion and alternation as far as the uh, subject matter goes here. And so we, we left off with the end of verse 5. And I'm going to read verse 5 again. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. And so when we went through it and we looked at it, uh, the perverse disputings of men was basically empty arguments that uh, in cases the minds of men in a prison of numbers. And we talked about that a little bit. You know, you can go somewhere to a new place if you're going to join a new assembly or get in with a new group. And I'll say, well, where did you come from? What do you know? And uh, how many people did you have? How many... How many members you got? And I come from a Baptist church, and uh, basically, and uh, so that was always a big thing with the Baptists. Their their uh, local assemblies usually gathered together and had a, uh, a a group of churches join uh, together and form a a group within a community, you know, within a, maybe a, a county or, or an area. And uh, we, we called ours the Beaver Dam Association uh, because it, it was located down in the part of our county that's more tendable uh, crop-wise. And, uh, flat country, more flat down in the lower part of the county. And so, uh, I guess they had a lot of swamps and beaver dams down there. So that, that's where we, we got that. But always their thing was, how many, how many people you got in your church? I mean, how, how many, how many number members you got? Or how many new members do you have? Well, they look at that. Gain, if you, if you have a gain, they look at that as being godliness. That, well, you must, you're doing it right. And, uh, that's, that's certainly not what God is looking for. God is not looking for numbers so much as He's looking for truth in the Word. 
or concerning the word, concerning the finished work of Christ. And so this is uh, this is where we got to. So let's start with verse six. And I do it like I always do. I look look at in the King James. Uh, I do it out of from the Companion Bible, and uh, it it has the columns beside the uh, beside the text, and and it gives you a good way of of looking up and and coming to. Uh, what a lot of words means that you don't fully understand. We'll go to verse 6. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. So we're going we're gonna to carry on with this thought here about these false teachers. Verse 6. <coughs> Excuse me. Then I'm going to read my notes. And then... We're going to read Jack and Melda Everly's notes out of the Workman's Interlinear, by the way, is, is a copy of it in, uh, in the Library of Congress, which I don't know how Jack got it there, but it's there. And so, you know, if you were in Washington and you so desired to look at it, you could probably go to the Library of Congress, check it out, and get on the table. Look at it, but it does have the Koine Greek, and then it brings it down. Jack bring it, brought it down from the Koine Greek in into the English, verse by verse. And then not only that, but the more modern English, and this is pretty much where we get it from in the King James version. It's it. It gives you a pretty good picture of what you got once you get there. But we're going to look at verse 6. In verse 6, and I can't read the Koine Greek, so I have to read it as it's been taken down. It says, Is but gain great that godliness with contentment. That's how it comes out in the Koine Greek. And then in the more modern English, you said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So it goes back to pretty much the King, King James Version to get that. And then Jack gives us notes here, and his notes are great. I mean, really, truly great. Jack was a graduate of Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or not, but it is a uh, Baptist college uh, founded by the Jones family over there. My grandmother was a Jones, but I don't think she was any relation to, to any of them. But... Uh, Jack got his basic understanding from them. But Jack grew in spirit and in truth. Thank God for him and Melda. And I don't know which one was the smartest. It doesn't matter. But the two of them together made a great, a great team. 
because she could type and do all this stuff, and she evidently understood the Koenig pretty well. And so, and she wrote too, so here we are. I'm going to read what Jack wrote. Verse 6. It says, will a truly godly person be discontent? Can that happen? He certainly may be pressing toward the mark, and as such, may be thought to have been possessing a measure of discontent, or at least not in total satisfaction with either where he was or what he understood. But that's a great thing to be in because that gives a man or a person or a woman, it gives whoever is studying the, you, you know, you got to punch yourself a little bit to get anywhere. You, you got to, you got to strive to do that if you're going to greater satisfaction. And Jack says this, truly no godly person would ever be satisfied with his own imperfections or unfinished work. Therefore, we believe that is not what this sentence is about. Rather, it is the total coupling of godliness with contentment, which is meant to be understood. That is, godliness goes along with, or is that naturally coupled with contentment is great gain. Certainly, ungodly people are rarely, if ever, content. Well, where is the great gain? Or what is the great gain? Though the gain for the body member is to be seated with him at the right hand of the Father is the ultimate gain. We believe here that the gain is meant to be understood as earthly gain. That is, the individual will live happily here on this stained orb or ball. And so Jack is giving us the idea here that while we are here, we could be content with what God has given to us and what we understand to be as truth and to live it that way. And then he also gives a scripture to look at. And there's, let's say, uh, one, two, there's three, four, four places here we need to look at that he has looked up and given us understanding to look at for this little verse of Scripture, or short verse of Scripture. But I've understood that even small short verses of Scripture are just as important as the lengthy ones. Because quite often, if it is for uh, straightening out what is wrong, it is really truly a great need in a person's uh, behalf. Well, let's look at these things here. 
And I want I want you to turn with me uh, uh, to Ecclesiastes five. We're going to look at page nine twelve if you have a companion Bible. And if you don't, I can't help you there. But Ecclesiastes, we're going to look at 9.12. Let me get there. Almost there. Yeah. Okay. Ecclesiastes. I lost my place. Ecclesiastes 5. We're going to look at 13, 14, and 15 in Ecclesiastes 5. And it says this. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun. And that generally means on the earth. Namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travails, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. And as he came forth of his mother's womb, excuse me, naked shall he return to go as he came and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. So I think you've heard the old saying all I have all my life, that you brought nothing in this world, you're not going to take anything out. And so this is basically what we're looking at here. Godliness with contentment is great gain, but Numbers don't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything to God. It, this thing with God is an individualistic thing between you and your God. You and the Godhead. Okay, now, the second thing we want to look at, uh, here is Psalms. Uh, 4916. Psalms 4916. Let's see. Wait a minute. No, I'll take that back. We're going to look at Luke 15. 13 through 15. Let's go to Luke. Fifteen, thirteen, fifteen. Okay. 
That is on page 1481, if you have a companion Bible. And this is, uh, Luke, I think it's where the, the young man, the father gave him his portion of his goods, and he, he, he left. And he says in 13, And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, <coughs> and there wasted his substance with righteous living. And when he had spent all there, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And when he went, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to his field to feed the swine. And uh, so he was feeding the man swine, but he didn't have nothing for himself to eat. And so therefore, you know, he didn't have that great contentment. A hungry man is it's hard to have contentment because God gave man the ability to gather stuff on this land that he had left for man to use. And he said he'd have to do it by the sweat of his brow. And therefore... Quite often, man didn't want to do that. But, uh, so this man, his son was dissatisfied with what he was getting from his father, so his dad, uh, give him his part and set him on his way. Look, he wasn't long, but he couldn't make it. And, uh, that contentment was gone. It was, it was certainly, uh, far off in the future, but he took him back in. That's the way God is. He was like the man that gave his son what he was supposed to have, and then when the son had used it all, he took him back into his table again, and he fed him, and and, and so the son saw the saw the problems there that. It arose with that. Okay. Let's look at, while we're here looking at these, we've done two of them. Let's go to Second Corinthians. You know, I didn't realize Paul wrote First and Second Corinthians as, as, uh, uh, something to straighten these people out. But there is a lot of good stuff in second, first and second Corinthians. We're gonna to go to second Corinthians nine. In second Corinthians nine, uh, we're gonna look at seven through ten there. And, uh, and it says this, well I'm gonna look at eight. He said, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountiful 
shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he had purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound in to every good work. As it is written, you see here, as it is written, this is what many of the arguments about the Jews were about. If it doesn't say this, or somewhere it says, and the scripture saith, or it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both ministers bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So, if you don't have any seed to sow, then it is hard to really get a good crop. So you have to look out toward those who save the seed or give the seed. And uh, I always like to uh, talk with a guy up in Indiana, our corn man, and he could tell you how many rows of corn are supposed to be on an ear and about how many grains would be in those rows of corn. And so when you plant one seed of good corn, good seed corn, if it's in good ground, and if it's if it's been fertilized the right way, it will multiply itself by 2,000 to 1. Now, where can you get a, where can you get a return for your, your worth on that, you know? That, that was a wonderful thought to me, okay? I'd like to go from, uh, from here to Philippians. Let's look at Philippians 4. Philippians 4, I always like to go to Philippians because the Philippian people loved Paul and cared for him greatly. And uh, they gave him every chance to succeed, seems like. In Philippians 4, let's look at 11 through 13. Let's, let's, let's go back to 10. It says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. This is Paul speaking to the Philippians. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere 
And in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. So he knows where he's hooked up to. See the Lord's balance there again. The Lord's balance is what I call it. Balance. I know how to be abased and how to abound. Yeah. Uh, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and suffer need. I mean, that's yeah. the balance. The balance is always there. The balance is always Whatever there. Paul needed, it was always provided for him some way or the other. He he told some of these people, said, I've taken from some of the, the people... And I've used it for your, for your glory, for your hope. But, you know, he says, but it all balances out. It, it, yeah. it comes out and evens up <coughs> just that way. So we went through verse six there. And verse seven through verse ten deals with riches and its danger. Now you think about this. And you see people that seems like everything they do, they make they make it just no problem. Make it work for them. I've got a brother that's that way. But that's worldly things. And I wouldn't trade what I know. For all the money that he might have. Because I realize and understand that what he has is temporary. And what I have is is eternal. And here we are. Verse 7. I'm going to read it out of the King James again. Let me get back to Let me get back to 1 Timothy 6. Okay, verse 7. And it kind of follows verse 6 and a little bit in 5 to some extent. (coughs) But it says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. I think that's what Ecclesiastes was say it as well. Yeah, right. So, it has been known down through time that you know, you come here and need a a human baby is one of the most needful little things that you've ever seen. And everything needs to be provided for for a period of time. So that gives us, in this verse 7 too, is a double negative. So uh, there's some things that usually when you get to a verse that's a double negative in Scripture, you don't find much uh, Scripture that goes along with it. But here, this is a little different. For one reason or the other. 
I'm going to read you my notes in seven. <coughs> it says, For we brought or came with nothing. And that is nothing is odious. Odies. And, and that is a double part of the double negative. Nothing is a double negative. And it says, not even our breath. We didn't get out here with our breath. The midwife or the nurse or the doctor or whoever was with you know, your parents or my parents made sure that breath was available to that baby. Otherwise, it would probably would make it on its own, but it is a possibility that it would not. So we brought or came with nothing, not even a breath, into this world. And this world is cosmos. And that says created, ordered, or arranged by God. And you know this whole world has been through a lot of different changes and a lot of different stuff. But this was because of Satan interfering with God's order into his creation. And so you and I have been brought into this situation or this warfare in the second or third chapter of the book of Genesis. Because when this young lady that was taken from Adam and was promised to him for a soulmate, when she saw Satan and dealt with Satan, all this stuff began to change. And she couldn't, and she couldn't, and had not had any experience to be able to stand up to something like Satan. A created being that had wanted to take the place of the Son of God. And so, Therefore, when it did happen, that she became with child with two people, or two individuals, Satan, Satan, and Adam. So God says, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and his seed. Well, he had them right there in front of him. In the form of Eve. We call them Cain and Abel. And so... We were put into this, or were brought into this, by the plan of God and what He did and what changes He made with mankind and womankind. Because if you look in where it says, 
that she was with, uh, or that Satan, or that God had said, I'm going to put enmity between the two of you. But he said, not yet. If you look in the notes in the companion Bible, it says not yet. Because in God's mind, in God's eyes, there needs to be a vow. And there was no vow. There was no vow. And so therefore, you know, we get into this situation with something different from what God wanted. So he had to make the changes. And so, you know, when you look down through the third chapter of the book of Genesis, you see these changes take place. And so that's, that's, that's where we get some of this thing. So the world got involved. The cosmos got involved as created, ordered, and arranged in verse 7. And it is certain And certain there is really be omitted and it should be neither. Neither can we carry nothing out. It is certain, but it is, it is truth. And that word there is odious too. And so that is the two negatives that you find in this verse of scripture. For we brought or came with nothing, not even a breath, into this cosmos or created order. And it is certain that neither can we carry nothing out. Okay, let's look at the, let's look at the scripture that goes with that. And it, there's not many there either, but it, it's very important that we do Look at it. So turn with me back to Job 1. And uh, Job 1 on page 668. Job 1. We're going to look at 19. Through 22 on page 668, Job 1, if you have a companion Bible. Uh, 19 through 22, chapter 1. And from 19 to the end of the chapter. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead and I only have escaped alone to tell thee. This is people that was coming to Job and tell him about all of the stuff that was being destroyed that belonged to him. And uh and this the big part of this chapter here goes along with Satan was dealing with God for Job. And God telling Satan, 
the rules of the game, if you put, want to put it that way. And so looking down through this, and so here was Job, some of Job's children had uh, died in a great wind, probably a tornado or something like that. And he says, and I only escaped alone to tell thee. And this is not the first time that he had been told that some of this stuff had, had vanished from his belongings. And it says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle, shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. And the Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. So, he had lost everything that God had given him. And he was a Rich, rich individual. Maybe the most richest man that had ever lived up to that point. And so he's going to have to start all over again. He said, you know, you can curse God. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. Certainly not going to do that. That's not, that's, that's not part of me. Okay. Let's look then. From Job to Psalms 49. Psalms 49, we're going to look at uh, 15 through 17. 768. Psalms 49, 15 through 17. And he says, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. For he shall receive me, Selah. But not thou, be not thou afraid when one is made rich. For when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. And my dad always told me this, that, son, you'll never see an armored truck in a funeral possession. <laughs> There's no need for it. You can't, you can't do anything with That's it. That's why they don't put a trailer hitch on the hearse, right? Yeah. Same kind of an idea, yes. Okay. Okay, we're going to look at uh, Ecclesiastes 5. And uh, I think we've already looked at it one time, but we'll look at it again. Because this is what Jack wanted us to look at. Ecclesiastes is uh, page 9 and 12 
Yeah, I didn't go quite far enough. Ecclesiastes uh, 5.13-16 through 16. In 13 through 16 of Ecclesiastes 5 says this, There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches, kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth the sun, and there is nothing in his hand. And as he came forth of his mother's womb uh, naked, Shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. So, that was uh, what we read here in Ecclesiastes. But I had a brother-in-law, good old boy, kind of raised him, I guess. But, uh, there was times that we would be at the funeral home looking at caskets to get some of our family put away. And uh, Billy found one with a little drawer compartment in it. He looked at me. He always called me Mac from McCurry. <laughs> and he says, Mac, I can see said, I told you there is a place you can take you in. <laughs> and I said, Billy, you need to get out and raise some more. It's not going to work, son. It just ain't going to work. And then we're going to look at Matthew 6. But, you know, people get ideas, and it's hard to get ideas out of their heads sometimes. And uh, especially if uh, <coughs> if you're in the same family together. We're going to look at Matthew 6. We're going to look at 19 through 25. (coughs) And this is a pretty good little bit of uh, Scripture. But it says, Lay not up for yourself treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, but where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust nor corrupt or where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, Thy whole body shall be full of darkness. For therefore the light that is in thee be darkness. How great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what shall, what ye shall put on. It is not the life 
Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? And he goes on to say, you know, what about the fowls of the air and the things that they don't have to do these things, but yet you are given knowledge to be able to do this stuff. And so there's what we have. So verse 7. It says, out of the coin, a great, nothing for we brought into the world system because neither to carry out anything we are able. Well, we brought nothing into the world system because of that, neither were we able to carry anything out. This was continuing from verse 6. The godliness of the body believer takes the place of many a worthy man has for his possessions and trophies. None of these material things abide. They have little or no standing in the upon heavenlies. So, whatever you have hanging on your wall as a trophy, no point in trying to take it with you. It's not going to be worth anything. If there's somewhere that God has for you to go. Amen. Okay. So, uh, that, that's that situation. How much time we got left, Ralph? 927. 927. Okay, I was wanting to do, uh, verse 8, but I really don't have the time to do that. Uh, tonight, but I, as I told Ronnie and Lori while we were here waiting on the time to get on the air or to make our study tonight, that, uh, and they know this, I, for a while now, I have been working on a book that I certainly wanted to, uh, it's a story of my life that I wanted to, uh, Leave for my, at least for my grandchildren and great grandchildren. I am going on 85 years old and I've seen a lot of things and had to start over again at times. But nevertheless, God was with me all those times that I didn't know that uh, God was taking care of me through uh, the strives and the things of my life that got to be kind of hectic. And, uh, I was born right before World War II and we lived in Ohio during the war. My dad worked for a defense plant. And, uh, so we, we lived up there in we lived in Barberton, Ohio, in the suburb of Akron, Ohio. And it was thought maybe that if the war wasn't going pretty good, that that would be one of the places that uh, the enemy would like to bum the United States because of its rubber manufacturing. 
And uh, so I went to the first grade up there, and we had air raid drills twice a week. And uh, we learned to pull our desks together and get under our desk and do the things that children could do, what little bit they could do. And uh, and so during all this time, Mom and Dad divorced when they came back to South Carolina. And we lived in a building up there that had running water, a bathroom, electricity, and all this, and when I come back to, to rural South Carolina to live with grandmother for a while, we had no facilities. We had a well where we drew water. Uh, we had a spring box down at the spring where we could keep milk and eggs and uh, a little bit of meat if we uh, were going to eat it pretty quick, you know, because it it was only as cool as the water that came out from under the hill. And uh, so I had to start all over again. I, I went from walking to a more modern school to going to a school that uh, was just a little country school that the WPA built. And, uh, it, it served me well, but, you know, Looking at these things, I thought, man, I'm going back. I'm, I'm going in the wrong direction here. But every, learn to be content all over again. Yeah, but everything that happened to me was happening because of where I am today. And they were, it was, the whole, the groundwork was being laid out for me. To understand that I became an adopted child of God and into His family. And that I began to get mystery truth and understand the truth and the things that God had given to these men down through the ages. And so I thought I should put all this into some sort of a book. And to make a long story short, I have. I've got about a hundred pages done, handwritten pages. But I'm still adding to it. And one of the things that my wife and I had enjoyed during our time of court courting was country music because there wasn't any television then and, and uh, about the only thing there was was radio and uh, I thought for a long time that all the bad things that happened to people was because of the war and uh, because you know it, it took me a while to realize, well, there ain't no war going on right now. But as I got a little older and met my wife-to-be, you know, then there's rumors of wars again. So I wondered about that. 
But now that she's gone, every Sunday morning at 6 o'clock, I set my alarm and I wake up to a radio show that comes on in Greenville, South Carolina on WSC. And they do old country music. And I lay there for about an hour and a half taking this in and reminiscing. And I began to realize something. I began to realize that what these people were writing about were problems that were they were having in their lives. And, and there was one there uh, a couple of weeks ago that struck me rather straight. And it was about a guy. And he was having trouble with his girlfriend or his wife or whoever he was living with or whatever. And it wasn't going very well. And because it wasn't going well, he wrote a song, and it, it became a hit. And I can't remember the guy's name that wrote the song or recorded the song. And, but when I was getting ready to write in my book, I kept hearing this country song and the melody that went, this way, you walked across my heart like it was Texas. And I learned from you that I learned to say, yes, I did it, but I just don't care. And I thought, my gracious, I would not want any of my grandchildren or great-grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren to ever say that, that I could hear it said. Because someone had had so much emphasis on another person until the other person made the statement that I just don't care. And that's sad commentary. But that seems to be truth in this whole world, in the way that we live in the world. And thinking back where I read things in the paper about uh, people having problems in their life in one way or the other. But I kept listening to that radio for another half hour, and I realized that most of those Things in some way or other brought this up. And so I said, I need to put it in a form, some way in that book, to where I can make or ask them to, to realize that if they ever come to that point, then that is not a godly thought, whether they're saved or not. I just don't care. We never need to get to that point because you're getting very close to a point to where you might take your own life or take the life of somebody else.
And Lord, we don't need that no more in this this world that we live in today. Amen. And I'd hate to know, you know, that I, I got I, that I got that thought in my mind, and so I'm still working on how to form it into my book to make it or to give it a greater emphasis. And uh, pray for me that that will take place take place shortly. I don't know. I don't know how many breaths, check breaths, the Lord's going to give me. So I'm, <laughs> I'm getting close down the times, I guess, in in the sense of age. And uh, I have surpassed my 70 years by quite a few years. But uh, pray for me that we'll we'll get that done and get that finished too. And I'd like to finish these last two or three little epistles that we got. But pray for me in those terms. And uh, thank you for being with us. And, and uh, may God bless you in your endeavors. All of them. And that they're all worthwhile. And they all will be that that God would have us to do. God bless.